Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Albert Camus Radio. Today, we're going to take up a little bit different work by Camus, which is the journals, uh, the North and South American travel journals by Camus is what I'm going to be considering today. Eventually, we'll look at his academic, scholarly, personal journals, which are in three volumes and fascinating, but I want to do the travel journals today. Originally, when they were published, there was some issue with how they were going to be put together. Were they going to be included in this three-volume set of journals, or were they going to be a standalone edition? And it turns out it ends up to be a standalone edition, and they're a very fine read. And I often don't see a lot of people commenting on them or using them as additional sources for papers. So it's kind of a lost piece of Camus. So if you're interested in something a little bit off the beaten path, by Camus. These journals are uh, something you'll like. Just to contrast the two a little bit, the North American Journal, so there's two journals collapsed into one, uh, separated by three years. The North American Journal is um, less structured than the South American Journal. He made a real conscious effort when in South America in 1949 to put uh, something in every day, uh, with the exception of maybe four days or something. On that entire trip, uh, there's something missing just those four days. And he got very sick in South America. So it's, and travel was very difficult in South America in 1949 for Camus. So it's understandable that he would miss a few days. The North American Journal uh, primarily takes place, of course, in New York City. And you see less consistency in terms of making notes um, every day. The copy that I have here is by uh, Paragon House translated by Hugh Levick. This is the trade edition um, journal of uh, Camus' travels, so it's widely available again, uh, both in the French and in the English, and I imagine in Spanish, uh, too. So this is uh, easily found and usually pretty inexpensive, especially um, news, the new or used, excuse me. The entire book goes 135 pages in my edition here. It's a fascinating read to get a feel for the psychology of Camus. So if you're sort of doing the reading of Camus in conjunction with these podcasts and with these videos, you're now stepping into a little bit behind the scenes piece by uh, Camus. You get a feel for his psychology and you get a feel for what it was like uh, for Camus. Uh, to travel. There's stress involved with travel. He's not used to it. He hasn't gone abroad um, before. If you consider Africa, French colonial Africa, France, and Scandinavia, eventually um, the area that he would travel in. This is new to him. Very worried about the tuberculosis, very worried about catching flu or pneumonia or something like that, or a very bad chest cold. Uh, while traveling or being in North America in particular, uh, that this adds a lot of stress to him. And you see a lot of notes about his health on uh, the travels. And then, of course, the fascinating pieces about people he met and the places and the observations that he met. And if you're from one of these places somewhere uh, in the North American continent, around New York or in South America where he traveled, it's particularly illuminating if you know Camus. And then you know this area, and you get to put the two together. I think it's pretty nice. I've never been able to do that because um, I'm not from there. So those listeners and those that watch here, if you are a New York native or um, from South America, you'll enjoy 
his observations on uh, those areas that you know well. He's brought in on, on a publicity tour by Columbia. So uh, Columbia was bringing in Sartre and was bringing in de Beauvoir and brought in Camus, uh, brought in the three big French intellectuals uh, at the time to address their students and then Harvard and all over New York, the art scene, the publishing scene, journalism, students, French appreciation societies, etc., all had these people in. And we're, since we're concentrating on Camus, those are the places that you'll see Camus visit when he is in um, New York. It's originally published in French in 1978, so not scholars had to dig pretty deep to get access to these journals. I believe that two existed um, prior to their being collected and put into one. And um, the English translation didn't come out until 1987. So if you didn't have the ability or the desire to translate these journals out of French, you had to wait till 1987 uh, to get a hold of the journals. There's very nice enhanced notes for English readers in the English version. So it explains some of the French. And then there are parenthetical footnotes and notes that are added to the text, which explains some context and explains some people and explains some editing choices that had to be made in 78, and they reflect those editing choices in 87. Remember that most of the people that were around Camus were certainly still alive in 1978, and there's some touchy areas uh, that um, people wanted um, anonymity for at, at that period of time. So it's kind of neat to take a look uh, at that. I'm going to read some of the passages that I think you'll find uh, that I find particularly interesting and give you a little taste for um, for Camus' time in New York. So one of the first ones that jumps out to me is he has these observations about race in the United States. So there were a lot of French nationals working in and around New York after the war because of the connection with the Allies, of course. And Camus was um, used the French consulate and French uh, national employees for things that he needed as he was there. And he makes this notation. We sent a diplomat from Martinique to the consulate here. So some a French colonial diplomat in service to France was sent to New York to work at the consulate. And Camus came in contact with this person over some need that he had, but he was in New York. And of course, Camus' English was not very good. So it's much more comfortable to work with the French government there. So, quote Camus, we sent a diplomat from Martinique to the consulate here. He was lodged in Harlem. With regard to his French colleagues, he perceived for the first time that he was not of the same race. That's a fascinating quote by Camus because he's French. He's Algerian. He's lived in this French-Algerian system his entire life. By this time, when he's in 1946, when he's in the United States, he's very, very accustomed to mainland France and Paris. And this is one of these observations about when you get to United, the United States, race makes a difference. Uh, the next one I want to read is a personal one. So if you know a little bit about me uh, or you share a love of baseball with me, I, I believe I have read every, I know that I have read everything that Camus has been, has published that has been translated into English. I've read almost all of it twice. I would be surprised if I hadn't read everything that's in English twice. 
I've read a great deal of the other stuff that has not been translated into English slowly uh, in French. Uh, so for my money, and I'm somebody that would be looking for this, this is the only reference to baseball that I have found in the entire uh, works of Camus. It's on page 45 of my copy. <clears throat> um, so I'm quoting Camus. So the, the nomenclature I'm using here is the translated nomenclature uh, by Quillette, who did the original translation. A host of Negro children, shrieking with joy, playing stickball, while Americans in unbuttoned shirts slouched on benches, having come straight from an old movie house. So we have a reference to stickball being played in the streets of New York, and that immediately conjures up this way that Americans play baseball across the entire continent in different ways. Um, page 51, there's a helpful note I always find on the plague. So if you're reading uh, the plague or looking to understand the plague, he reinforces the fact of who he sees as a hero. So um, in page 51, he says, quote, the guy from the Holland Tunnel in New York or the Summer Tunnel in Boston, all day long on a raised footbridge, footbridge, he counts the cars which pass endlessly in a defeating din the whole length of the violently lit tunnel, which is too long for him to be able to see either one of the exits. This is the hero of a modern novel. As he's working on the play, this is his observation about who a hero is. And if you've seen, if you'll, eventually you'll see the interview that I did with Professor James Woeful, where we talk about the idea of a hero in Camus and in the plague and who are these heroes, these civil servants that continue to do their job to help other people to create solidarity, to create consistency in society in a time of crisis. Um, so those are some of the quotes. I've got two more uh, at the end you but it gives you a little entree into the text there's a very valuable introduction written by roger cliette uh, who i just mentioned in the american edition and i think in the later french editions it, it's contained there uh, longtime editor of camus and the person who um compi compiled the pleiad uh, edition of camus work so he's the person that was responsible for bringing everything together and those are very fine works eventually i'll show a video I'll do a video and a podcast on the Pleiad edition, which McMurray College was graceful enough. Um, the librarians at McMurray College, longtime friends of mine, world-class librarians, um, arranged to have the Pleiad edition brought to McMurray College for my own scholarship. And then the college itself was gracious enough to allow me to purchase those books from uh, the college. And they just they mean the world to me, and they're, they're the right hand of Camus scholarship, certainly. And so I will do a, a, a piece on the Pleiad edition. Um, there's lots of anecdotes and lots of observations that makes it make their way into Camus' short stories. I love that. So if you get a re, an opportunity to read the breadth of Camus' works and you have a good memory for the scenes that he creates, you'll see that things that he wrote in this in these journals and both South America and North America, weave their way into short stories. It's very typical, too. When we do the journals, I'll be pointing things out in the journals that find their way into the stranger, find their way into the plague, find their way into the fall, etc. And the same thing happens here with uh, the observations that he made there. Um, oddly enough, there's some odd things missing by negation, I guess, 
in these texts. Very, very few, if I don't think any observations about American universities. So I spent time at Columbia and NYU and Harvard and no observations about the French, uh, American university system, which is quite different than the French system. Uh, and he was familiar with the French system. He came up master's degree uh, level in the French Algerian system and was very familiar with his colleagues that had done the French education all the way to the doctorate. Uh, there. So no observations about that, which always strikes me as uh, odd. And just very few notes on American students. Just a few notes on what the American students were like uh, in the uh, journals. The trips take place then formally from March of 1946. You actually see or read Camus getting ready to get on the ship. And then the ship takes him to the United States and the whole thing is documented in there. Um, and 1949 are the South American journals. So the trips are separated by three years. So take that into account when you're reading this. There are lots of lots of changes in the West between 1946 and 1949. 46, you're just coming off the war. In 49, you're trying to find your way in this new world um, that's happening and opening up in front of you. So his social and psychological mindset uh, is very different. Um, on that note, I'll read another passage from Camus that I find fascinating. This is Camus' view as he leaves France. Camus writes, quote, My last image of France is of, a, of destroyed buildings at the very edge of a wounded earth. Camus' image as the ship is pulling out of port in France. I'll quote it again. My last image of France is of destroyed buildings at the very edge of a wounded earth. And now let's take a look at some of his observations of America, which are fascinating and humorous at the same time. Um, this is Camus, as he's allowed, been allowed, his health has allowed him and his free time has allowed him to walk around New York and, and get a feel for New York in 1946. So these are some of Camus' observations about New York City and about the American continent in 1946. I quote Camus, A few details strike me. That the garbage men wear gloves, that the traffic moves in an orderly fashion without policemen at the intersections, that no one ever has change in this country, and that everyone looks like they've stepped out of a B film. It's a nice quote by Camus. Uh, to take a look at the American context. And then one other quote that appears uh, the very following day uh, by Camus. And I quote Camus here. As for the stores selling ties, you have to see it to believe it. So much bad taste hardly seems imaginable. Looking at the storefronts in New York City and shocked by uh, what he sees. There's a really interesting backstory to Camus' entry into the United States. Uh, I'll eventually do a podcast and a video on it because I presented a paper on this in Dublin in 2019. I presented that paper on Camus' entry into the United States in 1946. Camus was detained for at least eight hours by the FBI by personal order of Hoover when he arrived in port in New York City, and it was unexpected. So everybody got off the ship, but Camus was detained by the FBI, questioned because they didn't quite know his affiliation with communism at the time. 
And so for eight to 10 hours, he was detained. Columbia thought the ship was late. Finally, word was being able to be sent to Columbia, to the president of Columbia College, that this very important speaker that they had um, brought into the United States to speak was being detained by the FBI. Columbia retained a top-notch attorney. The attorney was called out in the middle of the night to shake Camus loose uh, from the FBI. So it's a fascinating uh, narrative there that I'll tell uh, in a later podcast, in a later uh, video. There's very little note of it in Camus' journals. Uh, so I'm going to read what Camus says about his very first footsteps into the United States. I quote Camus, I don't disembark until 11 a.m. After long formalities during which I am the only one of all the passengers to be treated as suspect. The immigration officer ends by excusing himself for having detained me for so long. Quote by the immigration officer, I was obliged to, but I can't tell you why. End quote. A mystery, but after five years of occupation. So Camus, um, the lawyer that was retained for Camus, uh, shook that loose and then the officer let him go. But they did follow uh, Camus, not to the extent that they followed Sark, but they did keep tabs on Camus, especially uh, what he was telling the American youth at the time. The last two little anecdotes I want to give about the American uh, tour of Camus, Camus' time in America are sort of funny. The two things that uh, people that took Camus around provided him rides and provided him logistic support to get where he wanted to with his free time, said that uh, he was obsessed with the giant camel cigarette ad in Times Square, this big neon sign that blew smoke out the camel's mouth. He would always want to see that and spend an unusual amount of time looking at And he visited the, the zoo in Central Park an unrealistic number of times. I think 21 visits to the zoo in Central Park in New York. And I don't see evidence of he being zoo obsessed anywhere else in the biography or anywhere else in the text. So um, you'll enjoy the American journals. They're short. Um, they're very revealing. And I recommend them. So happy reading.